We have been hearing from James throughout this letter a challenge for believers to a living, active faith. And now we come to the final two verses, and there is a different kind of challenge here. It is a similar challenge. It is a call. If you're a follower of Christ, this is the implication here is that you should be living a life of active, living faith, vibrant faith. But there's a little bit of a different challenge here for believers, and I want you to see it in verses 19 and 20. Look at those two verses with me. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now that is a a glorious passage. It is one that gives us great hope. It also gives us a, a real challenge. But there's another challenge that I am challenged with that I became very serious in heart about, very heavy hearted about as I began to study this passage this week. And I began to think about it in a way that I have never thought about this passage before. And I wonder if you may have never thought of it this way because this is a very familiar passage. I come to this passage today with kind of seriousness of heart because I know a familiar passage like this can be a dangerous passage for us, for our own spiritual lives, if we aren't careful to apply these verses to our own lives. And I say that because we're reminded here in these first few words of verse 19, the implication is that any believer among us could wander from the truth. There is no exception to that in this room. Any believer among us could wander from the truth. And the truth James has in mind here is the word of truth. We're talking about God's word. We could wander from believing and obeying God's word, the word of truth. James says to believers, my brothers, if anyone, anyone among you, wanders from the truth. So there's a warning sign here. On on the, the road of our spiritual lives, there's this warning sign with flashing lights. If anyone among you wanders from the truth, it's, it's possible that any one of us could wander from the truth. And James says to believers, my brothers, if anyone wanders from the truth, so it's a, a wake-up call for us. And it is a necessary warning because when we hear these verses we sometimes gravitate to thinking about these verses in a different way than than being alerted to our own spiritual needs. I have grown up in the church. Maybe you have too. Maybe you have been in the church for decades, and maybe you have heard this passage preached before, and you have been led to think, when you read these two verses, to think of someone who we would call a backslider. Okay, You think of someone who has wandered from the truth, and we would say, oh, that person is backslidden. And we tend to think of those people, when we say of someone who is backslidden, we tend to think of them as someone who is no longer going to church. That person has ceased to show up in God's house anywhere. And so we tend to think in terms like that. And I say that's a dangerous place to be if that's the only way we look at this passage. Because the implication here is that any this could be any one of us. Okay? And, and we could be at risk here. And if we only think that, that, that way, then we may think, 
I'm not a backslider. Here's another way to think about this passage and to challenge ourselves. If we think of backsliders as, as those who have stopped coming to church, we might say to ourselves, I'm okay. After all, I'm here. I'm here. I mean, I, I'm in church. I'm not a backslider. I have, you know, I have a Bible. I come to church. I come regularly and, and I must be okay. I'm not a backslider. I'm in church. And, and if we think that way, we could easily miss that in our own hearts and in our own lives, we can still be sinful and go to church. You realize that? You, we can still be sinners and go to church. In fact, if you're a believer, you're still a sinner. <laughs> I hate to break the news to you, but God's word says it's true, and we're going to see it in a moment. We need this challenge today. We need this reminder that we could still be sinning even though we're regular attenders, all the while looking down on others who we think are less spiritual, looking down on those who are no longer in church, looking down on those who struggle with what we consider to be a greater sin than our own. So I come to this passage, and it makes my heart heavy because I know if we're not careful, we could exclude ourselves from needing this passage, and we should not. There's a seriousness about this passage, and rightly so, because wandering from the truth is serious. And we begin to wander when we start overlooking our own sin. We begin to wander when we start discounting our own sin, when we start ignoring that we need to pay attention to our own spiritual lives. There's a seriousness about this passage, and rightly so because of that. And I know that in this church we can ignore and overlook many selfish sins in our own lives. I know this tendency exists in our own fellowship because I know that each of us, even believers, are still dealing with personal sin. And I know this because I know my own heart, and I have evidence of it in my own life, and I see evidence of it in our own fellowship, that we are all still sinners. And many of us may be saved and maybe have been saved for decades, but we still sin. And we still must take that seriously. But I also know that this is true because God's word makes it plain. We might be really good at covering up our sins so that no one notices, no one can see them. But God's word tells us otherwise. 1 John 1.8 says, for example, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We dare not deceive ourselves when we come to this passage. We also know this from the life and God-inspired, God-moved writing of Paul in Romans 7, in verses 21 to 23, when he said of his own life, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Paul, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. We cannot, we cannot say that Paul did not believe. He did believe, didn't he? And he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and was saved. But yet he knew he still was doing an ongoing battle with sin in his own life. And so it's clear in God's word, even if it isn't always clear to us, that we are all still dealing with sin. But thankfully, with the knowledge that we also gain from God's word, we know all followers of Christ can know that we are forgiven. 
when we confess our sins. I read the passage from 1 John earlier, right? And we're forgiven when we confess our sins. Praise God. And we can now rejoice because those who have faith in Christ are now equipped. We have the equipping we need by the work of the Word and the Holy Spirit to help us do successful battle with sin in our own lives. So these first few words of verse 19 are a necessary warning to all believers. We each must still do serious work of self-examination, contending against our sin with the Lord's help, lest we think wrongly that we're just fine. I'm in church after all. Because Satan would love for you to think that. Go to church. You're fine if you go to church. Just forget that you have to deal with sin in your own life. It's okay. Go to church and forget about your own sin. That's what Satan would love, wouldn't he? So I come to this passage with seriousness of heart because there is nothing lighthearted about God, God's people ignoring their own sinfulness and because there's nothing lighthearted about God's people not caring for one another and sinning against one another because of their lack of care for one another because they're too selfish to care for one another. And we have those words on the wall as you go out this morning. You may not see them anymore, and that's what I don't like about putting things up like that is because after a while we quit seeing them. But there are four words to the right as you leave that say, loving God, loving people. That's what we're to be about. That's what God's word teaches us and instructs us and commands us to be about as his children. And if we're not careful, we forget that. And we think church is about me. God's word is given for someone else. I come because this is a good place to be, and I feel good because I've been here. And that's a dangerous place to live. And the trouble is, and the danger of looking at this passage as if that's everybody else and not me, the trouble is we can become desensitized to our own sins. And we can be very riled up and upset and adamant about other people and how they need to confess their sins and totally be oblivious of the fact that we have sins to confess ourselves before God. Joel Beakey describes the problem this way in his book, Getting Back in the Race, the Cure for Backsliding. He writes, Backsliding is a season of increasing sin and decreasing obedience in those who profess to be Christians. Not every sin is backsliding. Christians must sadly expect their lives to consist of a continual cycle of sinning and repenting of sin by faith in Christ crucified. In backsliding, however, this cycle of repentance is broken and spiritual ground is lost. And so the challenge I give you today is a challenge to examine your own heart lest you be guilty of allowing, as Joel Beakey says, the cycle of repentance to be broken and you lose spiritual ground, and you remain in the church and yet be backslidden at the same time, thinking you're just fine when, in fact, your spiritual life needs a serious wake-up call. So, as I said earlier, a true follower of Christ cannot be truly content while allowing sin to remain in their life. If you have truly trusted in Christ, you will be miserable until you stop ignoring your sins. Sadly, I speak from example, uh, from experience. I, I have that the example of my own life. I look at my own life and I think of times when I was miserable. And I thought it was because of something that I had chosen to do as a profession. And so I tried lots of different things. <laughs> lots of different things. Until one day it dawned to me, it's not what I'm doing for a living that's making me miserable. It's the fact that I'm ignoring what God said in his word. 
and I'm refusing to obey. And so we should guard against becoming complacent about our own sins. And this should be sobering to us because of this warning from James that it's possible to wander away from the word of truth, to wander away from obeying God's blessed word. And we should guard ourselves from straying from the truth of God's word, being very careful to pay attention to our spiritual vital signs, being certain that we aren't growing complacent about our own sins. And that is, in fact, what James has been challenging believers with in this letter. As we conclude the study today in James, that is what this letter has been all about, taking a serious account of our own spiritual lives and not wandering from the truth. And the implication throughout has been that it's possible to have a dying faith instead of a living faith. It's possible to have a dead faith instead of a vibrant faith. And how does one get there? How does one get to where their faith is dead? Often very slowly, very subtly. Whether it's due to immaturity in the life of the believer, the believer never really starts growing, that leads one to fall away from repenting of sin and obeying God's word. Whether it's due to doctrinal error that leads one away from a living and vibrant faith, whether a believer is persuaded by a cult to depart from the truth of the gospel, whether it's worldliness that leads one away from believing and obeying the once believed truth, or whether it's willful resistance to God's word while remaining in the church. Whatever the reason for wandering from obedience to the truth of God's word, the results are the same, a dying and dead faith. And what we hear from James throughout this letter is that the believer is to guard their own heart from wandering from the truth. And as he concludes this letter to believers... He is also instructing believers, not only guard your own heart, but look out for the hearts and lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ around you. It's not all about you. It's not all about your spiritual life. It's also about the spiritual lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And believers are also to seek to bring back to a vibrant and growing faith those believers who wander away from the truth. Go back and look at verses 19 and 20 again. James says, my brothers, he's talking to believers here, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. If anyone among you wanders, says James. Now, he's not saying it's a certainty. It's not a certainty that people in the church will wander from the truth, but it's sadly, and you know this to be true, and I do too, sadly it's likely that some will. Sadly, likely that we will see it happen. And the one who wanders from the truth brings to mind the same kind of language Peter uses in in 1 Peter 2.25 where he says, For you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd, the shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, and overseer of your souls. Now, if you know anything about sheep, and all I know about sheep is what I've read, but I've read a lot about sheep because sheep are mentioned a lot in the Bible. Sheep may seem gentle and compliant, but out in green pastures, they tend to stray. 
And they tend to wander, and they need a shepherd. Believers, too, can wander off from obeying and living by the truths of God's word. We know it to be true if we don't know it from our own lives, but we probably do know it from our own lives. It's easy for ourselves to let ourselves wander from the truth. But we also see it. We can see it in the church at times. And, and it makes sense. I mean, the world offers all kinds of things that can draw believers away from believing and living by the word of truth. But I take great hope and comfort in the, in the word of truth when it reminds us that he who is in you, that is the Holy Spirit, is greater than he who is in the world. And so as believers, when we look to God's word, we've got to understand, whether we see it or not, that, that God's word and God's truths and obedience to God's word hold far greater things, far greater satisfaction, far greater contentment than anything Satan could offer us. But yet we are so easily duped to believe otherwise. And there are also hardships and difficulties that can weigh on and burden the heart and life of a believer that can tempt them to give up hope and wander from the truth. However it happens, when a believer wanders from the truth of God's word, it's heartbreaking. Not only for that person who's wandered away, not only is their heart broken, and they may not even realize it, not just for their own life, but also for the believers around them and the people around them who have invested with their own lives into their spiritual lives. Am I right? I mean, have you ever had someone close to you who you have invested in their lives spiritually and then they seem to drift away from, from believing and obeying the truth? It is heartbreaking. And James tells us that a believer who sees anyone among them in church, in the church, wandering from the truth, will help bring about a great deal of good by helping bring them back to the word of truth. Bring them back to believing, obeying the word of truth. Note here how James speaks of bringing someone back. He says bringing them back. It's, that's the language that the English Standard Version uses, which I re- read from. Um, also, if you have the NIV It uses that same language, bringing someone back. The New American Standard Bible translates it this way, turning him back. The same idea is bringing or turning someone back to the word of truth. Now, if you have the King James Version in your hands, you'll see this kind of language, and one convert him. It's still the same idea. The idea is turning someone back. We we think of conversion of the salvation experience, and that's not what James is talking about. Because you can't save anyone, okay? Save as in making them believe and be saved because they've trusted in Christ. You can share the good news and you, you can compel them to believe, but you can only turn them from error to truth, right? And that's what we're to do with those who are in the church who begin to wander away from the word of truth. We begin to convert them, in, in other words, to turn them back to the word of truth. We're not saving their souls, but we are turning them once again back to the word of truth And those uh, modern translations help us see that a little bit clearer when they say bringing someone back or or turning him back. Now, just how believers are to go about bringing this person back to the point where they begin again obeying the truth of the the word, James doesn't say. (laughs) He doesn't tell us how to do that. But right before this, what was he talking about? Do you remember? He was talking about the verses right before this, he's talking about prayer, right? So right before this, he's talking about prayer. And considering that right before this passage, James has given instruction on prayer, 
I think we can rightly understand that prayer will be involved in bringing someone back. We must pray for those who begin to wander from the truth. As we heard James say last week in verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And so we pray fervently, just as Elijah prayed, but we also act in faith that God is working. And I think that it takes people in the church who have, who have established relationships with one another, that we would have people close enough to us to, to recognize when we begin to wander from the truth, that they would dive in and say, look, you know I love you, you know I care about you, and I'm afraid for your, for your life that, you, that you're wandering from the truth. And we would compel people to come back, but that must be saturated with prayer and saturated with grace. This is, in fact, why we need the church. Have you ever thought about that? This is, in fact, why we need the church. This is, in fact, why God brought us together, brings churches and communities all over the world together. We need each other for this reason. It's one of the reasons we need each other. This is also why we should willingly identify ourselves as part of the church through church membership. I would challenge you that if you are not a church member, that you should think seriously about becoming a church member because this is part of the privilege of being a member of a local body of believers. Because when you become a member, you're saying, I am a follower of Christ, and I want to live for the Lord Jesus Christ, and I want you all to hold me accountable. So if I start walking from the truth and wandering away from the truth, I want you to rescue me, bring me back, plead with me to come back and believe in and obey and honor God by following the truth. So I say, you may not think church membership is important. I think it is very important for this reason, if for no other reason. This is really important that we would know those are people who have identified as believers, as followers of Christ, and they are among us, and we have got to watch out for their souls. It is one of the privileges of being identified as a member of the local church, that is, being recognized by others in the church as a committed follower of Christ who wants to be held accountable to obey God's word. Now, that is where we sometimes have a problem, isn't it? Because we don't want anybody holding us accountable these days. And, and don't get me wrong, even those of us who, are, who become church members have that problem. <laughs> we don't want anybody holding us accountable. We don't want anybody saying, ah, you're, aren't you supposed to be doing this? But we need to willingly surrender ourselves to that. And I would suggest that while your heart's right with God, you surrender yourself to being a member of the local church so that other members can watch out for your souls so that when you begin to stray, they can go after you and help bring you back. You may not like it too much at the time, but if you change your heart and mind in the right direction, there will be a day when you likely thank that person for coming after you. I can't, I can't talk about that without thinking about the person who rescued me. And I praise God for my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law confronted me and said, you're you're wandering from the truth. Essentially, that's what he said. He said, don't do it. Come back. And he went out of his way to help me, giving me a place to live. How gracious God is. We need our brothers and sisters in Christ. That is why God gave us the church. That is why he's made us a part of the church. 
And we ought to thank God for the church. Sometimes I know you don't thank God for the church. Sometimes I don't thank God for the church. Why? Because we're still sinners. And we still get under each other's skin, don't we? We still do things wrong. We are imperfect. You know the joke. If you find a perfect church, don't go there, because when you get there, it won't be perfect anymore, right? Sadly true, though. I mean, we're not perfect. Oh, that we would have a heart of concern, burden for those in the church who begin to wander away from the truth, that we would compel them to come back. Prayer and action with faith that God will work in the life of this one whom we seek to reclaim to the truth. That's what we're called to. That's what God's word is calling us to, compelling us toward, to joyfully pursue those who tend to wander from the truth. And we're all called to this. This isn't just the job of the pastor. This isn't just the job of the deacons or the trustees. James doesn't say that. He says brothers, plural, and sisters, okay? You're in that. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, we're, we're in that together. And James notes that when this happens as it should, when it's, when it happens in a right way, that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And so James compels all believers to take to this work joyfully, willingly. It may not be easy work. You may find that you face resistance from the one that you're trying to bring back. But do it with joy and do it with your hope fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ that God is going to do a work in that person's soul. And just think of the results of helping bring one back to an obedient walk with the Lord. James says it strongly. You will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. But I say again, he's he's not speaking of what we think of as salvation from sins, but he's saying that if you help bring one back who is walking away from the truth... You help save them from a world of grief, from a world of error, a world of sorrow. And so we're going to be the church that brings great glory to God in this fallen world only if we're concerned about loving God and loving people as we should. And we must keep a close watch on ourselves. If we're going to be a church that brings great glory to God, it must begin with our own hearts first. Keep a close watch on our own souls. That we would have a vibrant living faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, lest we need bringing back from wandering from the truth ourselves. Right? That we would keep our our hearts right before God, lest we need someone to help rescue us. And we should also be concerned, if we are going to be a church that brings great great glory to God in this fallen world, we should also be concerned for the spiritual welfare of all the others in the church. Anyone we help bring back to obedience to God's word may thank us, but even if they don't, our reward is in heaven for having helped bring back one of God's children, sparing them the grief and pain of broken fellowship with the Lord.
and what a, what a joyful privilege that is that we would help watch over one another's souls. Praise God for that. And I praise God for the epistle of James. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, oh Lord, help us. Help us to guard our own hearts. Help us to examine our own lives. Oh God, that we would not come here thinking, I have gone to church, I've done my duty, I'm fine. Without examining our own hearts, comparing the out the outcome of our lives to the challenge from your word, are we obeying? Is our faith thriving? Is it growing? Is it a living, active, obedient faith? And God, we pray, give us great wisdom that when we see a believer around us who is wandering from the word of truth, oh God, give us courage to graciously pursue them, to help bring them back and help turn them back to your truth and obedience to it. Not that we might be glorified in and of what we have been able to do in our own strength, but, oh God, that, that you would get the glory, that you, you did a work in their hearts, using us as a witness, as a challenge, as an example, yes, but, but that you would get the glory that a follower of Christ turns back once again to, to believe with their lives, to show that they believe with their obedience. And, and that they would be spared grief and sorrow and shame, broken fellowship with you, Lord. Oh, God, may it not be so of us that our fellowship is broken with you. And, and when we see that, it, that it's possible around us, help us, God, to pursue those believers for your glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.